coming today to our message, the armor of all prayer in verse 18 uh, and 19 and into verse 20, as Paul concludes the panoply of God. What comes into your mind when you think of prayer? What is it that encapsulates your view of communication, of petition, of approach to the Lord? John Bunyan, the writer of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, urged frequent prayer with this beautiful statement when he said, pray often. Why? For prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. If prayer is not a piece of the armor here in Ephesians chapter 6, it certainly is elsewhere in the Word of God. It is a vital piece of our spiritual warfare. We fight, we walk, we strive, we grow through prayer. We recognize in this passage, however, that prayer has no specific piece of weaponry attached to it. You don't have the breastplate or, uh, or sword of, of prayer listed here. So it's different than the rest of the pieces. And some actually say that it's through all prayer that each of these pieces are to be put on. This is how you put the belt of truth on. This is how you put the shoe of gospel gospel peace on your foot. This is how you wear the helmet of hope. It's through all prayer. That, too, is a biblical truth, no doubt. You can't um, assimilate these other good things that God gives you apart from the spirit of prayer active in your life. But we have said all along that these pieces of the armory, these um, to, to put them on is to stand. To wear them, to have them, is to overcome, is to be the victor, to stand in the evil day against the wiles of the wicked one. And I would say, so it is with prayer. To pray, and to pray biblically, is to win, is to be victorious, is to have your standing in Christ. When the Lord told Ananias in in Acts chapter 9 to go to that street called Straight in Damascus, that he would find Saul there, and it writes there in that passage, Behold, he prays. And that statement says it all. Saul, even though he's religious, had never prayed as a Christian, but now he prays. That's the sign of life. And it's the death knell to the hold of the kingdom of darkness upon Saul of Tarsus. To pray truly is the mark of Victory, And here in Ephesians 6, the apostle giving greater prominence to prayer here at the end, more prominence than any of the other six pieces, I think, clues us in sufficiently that this is a part of your armor, your prayer life. It's connected certainly grammatically with the opening imperative in verse 14, stand therefore, and the verb prayer is actually a participle that carries that forward. It would be better rendered praying with all prayer and petition at all times in the spirit for all the saints. Praying prayers is a, is a, a good little way of thinking of this phrase. Surely this is a part of standing firm and watching against the enemy and continuing in the Christian life. So on the one hand, there's no standing firm without prayer. We make no progress in the fight other than by Praying and by prayerfulness. We might have other pieces supposedly in firm position, but without prayer, we fail. 
prayerlessness, brethren, is a sin. Likewise, prayer is no substitute for the other pieces. You can't say, well, I'm going to be wishy-washy on the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to cover it with prayer. So as to take up the whole or full armor of God, so as to stand against such a foe, necessitates prayer. William Cooper, we sang one of his hymns earlier, friend of John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, wrote, Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. Are we praying? Are you praying? We want to look at three qualities then from this passage together in the brief amount of time we have together. I'm very conscious of how short the time is. Not probably sufficiently so, so you need to pray. Um, We want to look at three things here regarding this passage. And just note for outline here, first of all, see that prayer is big. Prayer is comprehensive. Prayer is to be in everything, about everything. There's an allness that is just so evident in this passage. There is a soul breadth to prayer about this verse, found nowhere else, I think, than right here in Ephesians. You can kind of feel the big sky of this passage as as it fills the lungs with all of these alls that roll out. It's comprehensive. And then second, true prayer is spiritual. Paul says, as he says elsewhere, praying in the spirit. There is not only a soul breadth, but there's a soul depth and a soul height to prayer. We are connected in our prayers here on earth with God in heaven through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. You are not at all alone in prayer, but you have wings for that big sky. You have wings for that allness that is given to you by God himself. And then thirdly, true prayer is persevering. Praying always. There is soul length as well as soul breadth and soul depth and soul height. The way to obtain blessing is to persevere with God in your prayers. So those are our three points. To begin, one cannot miss the bigness of prayer in this passage It's just chock full of alls with all prayer and all petition. Pray at all times in the spirit. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. The spirit leads Paul to write these words to fill the sails, as it were, with with prayer. Four times all is found. It's implied a fifth time. All kinds of prayer at all times, all watchfulness and perseverance to be engaged for all the saints, and all of it implied is in the Spirit. Believers know that their prayers should be like this, don't we? Our prayers should have this bigness about them. We're speaking to the God of the universe. We bow before Him and seek His face. And yet, how tame our prayers oftentimes are. Before the Lord. John Newton said, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever, ever ask too much. And yet, how many times we're just asking, not even close to too much, but rather asking too little. Recognize that he who is a God far exceedingly above what you can ever think or imagine, either in this world or the world that is to come, He answers exceedingly abundantly 
above all that you ask or imagine. We want to have our sails completely opened. This should be the the image, the ideal for us. In my prayer life, is my prayer life big? Is it large? Does it have the allness of this passage of the armor of God? Am I filled with his spirit and filled with the glory of God? But we are too often found offering dead sacrifices to a living God. Standing, serving such a great God, small, skinny, scrawny prayers rebuke us even as they're being uttered from our lips. You serve a great king who answers prayer abundantly. I wonder many times, uh, what is it going to be like when I stand before God at the end of my life? And he will say, you restrained prayer. Why did you not ask for this? Why did you not seek my face in this? Why did you not come to me for these things? Does anybody think that we'll stand at the last day and we'll complain? Oh, I prayed very fully, God, but you didn't answer. Are we going to say that to the Lord of the universe? What wonders have been affected, brethren, by prayer? Do you feel that? Do you know that? Does that grip you? That prayer is a real power in your life, and it has been demonstrated to be so time and time again. I hope in your life personally, but also publicly in the life of the church. We doubt that prayer works. In fact, when some kind of a situation comes along that's very, very troubling, and we're trying to figure it out, Finally, you go, well, maybe we should pray about it. And so, well, has it come to that? That's not the attitude to have. This was not the faith of Christians in the past. It was not the faith of the early church. John Chrysostom, the golden mouth, he said, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, it has expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is an all-sufficient panoply, armory, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by the clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, it is the fountain, it is the mother of a thousand blessings. Do we think of prayer in this way, in its comprehensive bigness, its allness? Paul says pray always. Not pray occasionally. Pray when you feel like it. Pray unceasingly. Pray always means at all times continuous communication and communion with God without ceasing, night and day, giving him no rest, morning and evening, every waking hour. This is to live the Godward life. That your mind is always communicating with heaven, with the glory of the one who is seated on the throne, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on here to say to pray with all prayer and petition. Two different words. The first word is a calling upon God, recognizing that without him, No matter what else we have, everything comes to nothing without his blessing. Blessings that are called down by prayer. This we can say is a Psalm 127 word. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Are we doing these things? Are we living out the Christian life in such a way that we're resting to the Lord and saying, God, unless you bless, I'm not going to be able to do anything. 
Without me, you can do nothing, said the Savior. And then the second word, petition. This is a word that has the idea of being uh, needy, coming from some lack, some desired help. It's the old English word, entreaty. I entreat you out of my low and needy situation. This is a Psalm 50 word. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. What a beautiful little definition of prayer. We call on God when we're in trouble. He rescues us. We glorify him. These two words then deliver to us two vital lessons. First of all, prayer is not to be seen as some kind of a good luck charm. It doesn't work that way, like a rabbit's foot. It doesn't work magically or mechanically by just saying these words over and over and over again. It works mystically in covenant with God, in communion, in relationship with this God who has entered into fellowship with you through the blood of his son, Jesus. You are not warriors merely for God, but worshiping warriors. You are sons and daughters of the living God in his covenant army. And you walk with your eyes upon him. You walk in fellowship with him. You are heavenly soldiers, priestly combatants on the field of battle before a watching universe. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And when it says fixing your eyes on Jesus, it's not just looking at him, not just a gawk. You're fixing your eyes upon him in love and communion and faith and hope and love and prayer. And then secondly, we feel our need before we can properly pray. Unfeeling prayers, said one author, is like a painted ship on a painted ocean. Oh, it looks very pretty, but there's no life in it. There's no breeze. There's no freshness. It's barren, even though it's beautiful. As the duty and needs of prayer are felt, the, the, the wants that you have yourself, of your loved ones, your world, your church, as these things are shouldered, when you recognize how great God is, that you have a God who is to be glorified in your life, who deserves all honor and praise and adoration, when you begin to feel that way, then you will earnestly plead to a good father. Puritan Thomas Brooks says, God is not moved by the elegance of your prayer, how neat they are, nor yet at the geometry of prayers, how long they are, nor at the arithmetic of them, how many they are, nor at the music of your prayers, how sweet or poetic your voice. He looks at the sincerity of your heart, of your prayer, how hearty they are. There is no prayer acknowledged, approved, accepted, recorded, or rewarded by God, but those wherein the heart is sincerely and holy. The true mother would not have her child divided. So God loves a broken and a contrite heart, and so he loathes a divided heart. God neither loves halting nor having. Having. Just giving him half prayers. We must be engaged in this way. Now this leads right into our second point. We can't pray in our own strength. No matter how well we feel our need, we are dependent upon another and no doubt dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Even earnestness in your prayer 
is no substitute for the Spirit's unction in your petitions. Your praying prayers are such because they are spiritual. Praying in or by the Spirit, as Paul puts it here, which, note well, is linked with watchfulness. The Holy Spirit is the one. The Spirit of Christ poured out on Pentecost. The Spirit of adoption by whom we cry what? Abba, Father. The Spirit by whom you have been sealed until the day of redemption when Christ returns. The very Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and the same power that now dwells in you, weakest child of God. That's the power in prayer. Spiritual has the idea of being opposed to what is fleshly, opposed to the heartless, opposed to what is earthy. These unsanctified efforts of mere men instead of coming in God's way through his son. But the spirit of grace who indwells and and fills your heart, fills it with the fear of God and reverence for him. The joy of the Lord is your strength, the comforts of heaven. He has begun this good work in you and will complete it. He must complete it. He will complete it. And you can see how prayer then in the spirit is attached to this watchfulness as you look to Christ in his glory that is to be revealed when he returns. You see how prayer is tied with Christ and with his coming and with the full redemption that awaits you. Spiritual prayer is fully eschatological. We're looking forward to the work that God is yet to do. Jesus, the giver of the Spirit, taught us in Luke 21, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. There's the orientation of spiritual prayer. It's only by the mighty spirit we are kept alert as to pray without ceasing, to pray continuously, to be wakeful instead of sleepy, vigilant rather than slovenly, alert as children of light walking in the light rather than suffering a spiritual stupor which this world is daily trying to put upon your eyes to mold you into its, its manner. The evil one knows, dear believer, the evil one knows that he cannot pluck you from your Lord's hand. He knows that you have a place in heaven, but he does seek to knock you off of your way, to lower your guard, to lower your weapons, and so quench the spirit of prayer in Christ in your life. Principalities and powers mustering their unseen array Wait for the unguarded hours. Watch and pray. Would you be watchful? Would you be vital in prayer in the spirit? There's many things that are here to stir you up to that, to make you more watchful and careful. But chief among them has been mentioned already. Look full and often to your final destination. Live more where you are going and where you love the best than here down below. Your home, your rest is Emmanuel's land. Are you spending time thinking about that future that is already yours? Spirit prayers, true prayers, praying prayers are heavenly in their orientation. They seek things that are above. 
there is a holy expectancy and longing for the things that are yours and are already coming towards you. And this inspires your striving. A pressing forward kind of metal is to be found in true prayer. Tertullian said you should with a holy conspiracy besiege heaven. Why? Because that is your home. But how will sinners like us ever enter a holy heaven? That's where we're kind of put off. Am I really ready to step into that holy presence of a perfect God? How can such a place that's fit for angels who have never sinned be open to fallen men? Or whom George Whitfield loved to call fallen man half animal and half devil. How can we enter that place? You see, this is where prayer abides in the spirit only at the foot of the cross. It's only through the blood of the atonement, only the full, perfect work of Jesus, who pardons all of our sins, who gives us a righteousness not our own. We are complete in him. The fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman avail much only by the blood of the Lamb sprinkled upon the doorposts of your life. You walk daily beneath that blood, and you are accepted in the beloved. It's only by that Savior, that precious blood of the covenant, by which saints persevere. You are bought beginning to end by what Jesus did on Calvary. And that brings us right into our third point. Prayer armor is persevering. Like the rest of the pieces of the armor, they're not just put on once or twice. We're to be walking in them at all times. The word for perseverance originally meant strength, victory, and then came to be used for having untiring constancy in difficult situations or invincible courage with patience. Some of you are facing situations that call for invincible courage, that call for untiring constancy. This is your door. This is your key. Perseverance in prayer is urged by our Savior back in Luke 18. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And perhaps the most vivid illustration of this is what we're going to be studying, ladies, this coming Tuesday morning in Genesis 32. When Jacob comes and he's between the rock and the hard spot of Laban behind him and Esau in front of him, and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, wrestles with God all night sees the Lord face to face. Hosea comments on this in chapter 12. In the womb, Jacob took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity, he contended with God. What a phrase. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, the house of God, and there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. And in this wrestling, contending with God, he was highly commended. He was, as it were, knighted by the Lord, by his name being changed to Israel, prince with God, because of his persevering in prayer. And thus the sermon title from Jonathan Edwards. You know, there are Puritan sermon titles that have more doctrine, more food in them than some evangelical sermons today. Just a sermon title. Edwards wrote a sermon entitled, The way to obtain blessing is not to let him go until his blessing is given. It's that straightforward and full. 
The way to obtain God's blessing, to persevere and to attain, is not to let him go until his blessing is given. And that's what Jacob did. He would not let him go until he is blessed. And this is an important part of your piety. Because let's face it, I don't know about you, but when I ask for something from God, it doesn't, doesn't immediately appear. Imagine that. I want it now, Lord, but it's for some strange reason, he doesn't think it's good for me to have it right now. It's postponed. And here's where the problem of waiting through delays can be very off-putting when it comes to your prayer life, isn't it? You get discouraged in prayer because you've asked and God doesn't give. You've got to deal with delays in prayer. You've got to have patience. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to tell the difference even between delays and denials. Sometimes God does say no, which is an answer. If we're not persevering, then everything becomes a denial if we don't have it right away. So Psalm 62 should be nailed to the door of your prayers. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. See the faith engaged even as we're waiting. He is my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Recognize what is at stake. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You see then what a large field then opens before us as Paul concludes this section. Pray all the time. Pray for yourself, yes, but not just for yourself. He urges upon you the weaknesses and others all around you. For all the saints, he says. Pray for all men, he wrote elsewhere, especially the household of faith. To Timothy, he says, pray for kings and for rulers. Are you upset with how things are going in this world? Are you upset with how things are going in America? Are you upset with what's going on in California? You should be. But take that and turn that around and besiege the throne of God with these things. Pray for kings. Pray for rulers. Do you see sinners and enemies running rampant in this world? Pray in faith for them. But pray especially for your brothers and your sisters. Pray for the gospel to go forth in the appointed way, in preaching, as Paul refers to himself, as an ambassador of God in chains. Because in preaching, this main means of spreading the gospel, the call goes out to the nations, and preaching edifies the people of God. God wants this time with you every week. God wants you to be under the preaching of the word of God so that I get to come and barge into your life. I get to come and talk to you about the things of the Lord. And it's not me talking, it's the Lord using his word to shape us, mold us, to encourage us, to challenge us. Um, what a great captain do you serve in this, in this fight. What a great cause in which to fight and to stand. And what a great outcome is at stake. There's nothing like it. There's nothing to compare Stand then in his great might with all his strength endued and take to arm you for the fight the panoply of God. To keep your armor bright, attend with constant care, still serving in your captain's sight and watching unto prayer. From strength to strength go on, wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. 
that having all things done and all your conflicts past, you may overcome through Christ alone and stand complete at last. Is that your story? Is that how you're going to wind up? What are those enemies that need to be placed beneath your heel that Satan would be crushed under your feet shortly? What a joy, what a confidence to know that Christ is with us, that his arms are open wide, that his heart is committed to you and his throne of grace available, a throne of power, a throne that will see you through. This is our hope. This is our strength, and this is the last piece of armor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and teaching us how to win this battle, to stand in these things that you have given and given so abundantly. You've promised, Lord, life to us through Christ, eternal life, abundant life, full life. And, Lord, we know that this only comes by our fellowship with you. You don't give these things apart from yourself. You give them in yourself. And so we pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with the spirit of supplication and prayer. And we know that we have that only as we look to Christ and rest in him, trust in him, live for him. Oh, Lord, we pray that you'd bless us now as we continue to worship you, as we continue to enjoy the the Lord's Supper together. Help us, Lord, to be full Christians, feasting upon the riches of our Savior, who has given himself so fully, the spirit given so lavishly, And Heavenly Father, your love is just beyond words. We bless you and thank you, great triune God. Continue to meet with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.